welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. So NetHealth wants to talk about outcomes and how important they are to your whole practice Aside from having the power to influence better patient results, you have the right data to assess clinical performance, oversee quality, assess and mentor clinicians, understand patient sentiment, and market referring physicians. So they have teamed up with Photo, which is focused on therapeutic outcomes, for the Clinical Outcomes Summit in Knoxville, Tennessee, October 23rd to the 25th. You'll hear success stories, case studies from your peers about leveraging outcomes data for deep patient engagement. And there are motivating and inspiring keynote speakers from my good friend, Michelle Colley from Performance PT and Daniel Lord from Crossover Health. Healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a steep discount by using the discount code LITZY, that's L-I-T-Z-Y, the full sum of pass is only $150. Go to www.outcomesnerd.com to register and learn more. Now on to today's episode. Dr. Jenna Cantor, our super duper guest host is back. And in this episode, she is interviewing Dr. Kathy Morella. Kathy received a bachelor degree in physical therapy from Boston University, a master's degree in motor learning from Columbia University. She received her doctorate of physical therapy degree from the MGH Institute. She is assistant professor and director of clinical education. She teaches professional development, healthcare delivery, and her professional interests include health policy, professional leadership, and clinical education. She has presented on these topics on national and state level. She has served on a number of leadership positions, including service on the American Physical Therapy Association Board of Directors and terms as president and chief delegate of the APTA of New Jersey. So this was uh, an interview that was done at the next conference a couple of months ago. And next is when they have the House of Delegates and there's voting and they decide on uh, mandates and, and things like that going forward for the APTA. So in this episode, they discuss how to make yourself known to the nominating committee as a potential candidate, referencing the candidate's manual and seeking guidance from your campaign manager, candidate interviews and Kathy's experience with Election Day, and the continual pursuit for the leadership experience. So I want to thank Jenna and Kathy for a great interview, and everyone enjoy. Hello, this is Jenna Cantor with Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart, and I'm here with Kathy Myrella, and we are at the House of Delegates and going to talk about the process, the election process for people who are running for positions within the APTA, and I know nothing. So first of all, Kathy, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. This is fun. I'm looking forward to talking about this. <laughs> All right. So for those who haven't listened to any of the 
interviews that I've done before that were kind of similar. I am totally beginner and I'm just going to be asking step-by-step and learning with you, the listener, about this process. So let's start from the very beginning. And honestly, I don't even know what that is. So Kathy, would you start? How does it just even start in the first place? Is it a piece of paper you sign? Do you raise your hand in a meeting? Like how do you get the opportunity to run for a position within the APTA? So that's a great question. So many of many of the leaders who run for positions at the APTA level start at the component level. And they and often component means state. Uh, component component means state. state, or it can be an academy section oh. as well. Those are also components. So mm-hmm. every every state has a chapter, and then your sections are also considered components. So most candidates who run at the national level have had some level of leadership experience at the component level. And so you start there simply by showing up and getting involved in different activities. Um, Usually, if you have a leadership interest, somebody will notice and give you some direction. And it helps to get that direction if you ask for it. Um, If you're doing some work on a committee level or a task force level, uh, you can ask the people who are more engaged how, how did you do this? How did you get started? Um, I started as a New Jersey component leader. I started as a secretary and moved through vice president and president and then to chief delegate. And so I got to know people on the national level through my work as a chapter president and as a chief delegate and a delegate because that's where you come to a national meeting and you start to connect with people beyond your component. You start to meet people who are either other delegates or serving on the national level. And um, you develop connections. You develop relationships. Um, When I went to my first delegates, I looked at the candidates who ran, and I thought, I would never in a million years do that. (laughs) But I was a delegate, and and I watched, and, and then people came to me and said, we think you have some leadership potential. Would you be interested? And I was totally floored. I did not expect that at all. Um, In fact, it was a member of APTA's nominating committee. So nominating committee members are elected to slate the candidates who run. And they start years ahead of time identifying those who are interested And so I was approached, and I thought, not really. No, I don't think I really want to do that. But it gave me the idea of perhaps in the future serving um, at a national level. Um, I want to pause you just very briefly. Would you mind saying what a delegate is for those who don't know what that means? Sure, absolutely. So each state chapter elects delegates who go to the House of Delegates to vote on motions, um, which are ideas ideas for action. Um, Really, the House of Delegates is considered a representative body, just like Congress is a representative body. So you are elected by your state, or um, there are also section delegates, but you're elected to represent them in the House of Delegates. And the House of Delegates has about 402 delegates, and so the 
States with larger membership have more delegates. States with smaller memberships have at least two. They will never have fewer than two. So they call that apportionment. Okay, so you're bringing up the delegates because they're the people who vote for you. So Correct. that's why they're important to be introduced to them because it can help your candidacy if you should run. Correct. And when you decide you want to run, it's important to get a sense from people, is this a good idea? You you don't want to put in all the work and then not be successful. So, um, so you really do start to observe uh, people who have been elected or people who are doing work within the association that you um, you that inspires you, um, that interests you, and um, you know you can you can observe them, you can ask them questions, um, you can start to connect with people, um, and then running for office is really a matter of experience, but it's also a matter of timing. Um, we all have work-life integration, and we figure out uh, the timing that works best for us. And um, in my case, um, I had three growing children. I knew I wanted to serve at a point where they were a little bit more independent. Um, so that was that determined my time frame. So again, I had been a chapter president, a chief delegate, um, and then at the end of the time I was a chief delegate, my youngest child was graduating from high school, and I thought, okay, this is this is the time for me to start pursuing that. So um, I would observe. I, then you need to know what the positions are. You need to know. So with right, because uh, just just to run for say secretary or president or correct. director, you right. need to know what what it means that you would need to know what to do. Correct. So. Um, the board of directors at the APTA level is 15 members. You have nine directors, and then you have a, you have house officers of, of speaker and vice speaker. So those are two board positions that actually run the House of Delegates. And then you have president, vice president, secretary, and treasurer. So you would need to know, you know, kind of the roles and responsibilities of each of those. And you can also run for a nominating committee, which I mentioned earlier. So those are the people who are elected by the delegates to determine who the candidates are um, each year. So, you know, you run through a process that starts immediately after each House of Delegates. So we literally just finished the House of Delegates today on June 12th. And the next cycle starts for the 2020 election today. And it starts by forms that are available on the APTA website that any member can complete. They don't need to, be, you don't need to be a delegate. Uh, you don't need to be a leader. Uh, you can go on the APTA website and you can, uh, you can put in what's called an NC1 form, which stands for Nominating Committee 1 form. And you put that in and as an individual, and you recommend someone that the nominating committee should contact as a possible lead for them to slate for office. And you, you choose. I think this person would be a great secretary. I think this person would be a great treasurer. Um, and you put in the recommendations for the offices that are up for election in the following year. And the nominating committee collects all of that information 
Um, they also keep an ongoing spreadsheet of people who have expressed interests because sometimes people will say, yes, I'd like to do this in the future. Um, I'm completing a residency now and I'm getting married the year after that and I'll, I'd like to practice for five, three to five years and then maybe I'll be ready. They start to keep that spreadsheet and they turn that over every year from nominating committee to nominating committee so that they have a database of potential candidates. I have a question. I have a question about that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'm definitely a person who wants to work on the board one day, definitely a dream of mine. And what if I'm in a position where I don't have somebody saying, oh, I, I submitted for you. Like, what if you don't have something like that? Is that, does that look low upon yourself? Is that, I would love to know that perspective. Sure. So the volume of those NC1 forms really doesn't make a difference. It, it's important to have a few people say, yeah, it, it would be nice for nominating committee to talk to that person. You're not committing to anything. Um, it simply gives your information to the nominating committee as someone that they should talk to. And it just gets you in kind of in the, in the system. So um, I think for anyone who is interested, for, you can contact someone on the nominating committee directly. Their, their list of names and contact information is on the website. So, and usually they have, they're assigned to a region. So who's ever assigned, you know, if you're from New York, from the Northeast, you know, you can directly contact. You don't have to have NC1 forms until you're actually ready to run for office. So once you decide you are ready to run for office, it usually is a good idea to ask a few people, would you be willing to put in an NC1 form for me? And often that's, or, and talk to people kind of before you're ready. Is it, you know, do you think this is a good idea? Because as I said earlier, you don't want to put in all the work and then find out that you're not successful. Um, you're spending this time looking at your leadership skills, um, learning about leadership, Growing, um, always growing. Always growing. Um, there are some resources. APTA just opened uh, a new platform called APTA Engage, um, and they're in the process of transferring some of their leadership development resources to that place. Um, when I was on the APTA board, I chaired the Leadership Development Committee, and we came up with a, 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 some core competencies of leadership. So um, they were self um, function, which is how an organization works. People, which is managing people skills and vision, so knowing how to be visionary. And so I would recommend that you would look at all of those areas. And they're, um, they're, always, they're not linear. It's not as if you develop self first and then people and then they're, 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 they're cyclical. Right, exactly. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. so you can be, you know, you can, you can work on all of those things and constantly come back to um, developing yourself. As, as a leader, you're always developing yourself, no matter how um, experienced you are. Absolutely. So the nominating, these uh, NC1 forms are available between now, which is June, and November. Usually it's around November 1st, they close, and then the nominating committee uh, takes those forms. Um, they look at who the possible people are that might be good to be slated for these positions. And they actually reach out to these people. They interview people um, to figure out who, who should be um, slated for this next year's offices. 
and they and they come up with um, they come up with a slate and what they they decide how many candidates to slate. So usually, if it's an officer position, president, vice president, secretary, they try to slate two people because there's one position. Okay. And for director, uh, there's usually three positions. They try to they try to slate six individuals for those three. So two for each position is the goal, and that's what they would consider a full slate. And sometimes it's a challenge to get a full slate, to get people to commit to run. And you have to consent to run. They will call you to say, do you consent? They don't just put people's name on a list. <laughs> Good imagine. So for you, you went through this whole process yourself and you several times. Oh, my gosh. This, for those who do not know Kathy, she has the stamina of Wonder Woman just doing the whole process. So you knew you were going to run. Is there a meeting to teach you about principles or how, like, how are you trained for what is to come? And on that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back. Let's talk about something important patients and their outcomes. If you love to nerd out on this kind of talk like I do, the best industry event around outcomes management is happening from October 23rd to the 25th, and it's the Clinical Outcomes Summit. It's hosted by Photo, but it's not just for photo clients. It's a gathering of everyone who believes in the power of outcomes management to drive change for patients, clinicians, practices, and payers. And the best part, healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a steep discount on the registration. The full summit pass is only $150. At that rate, go ahead and bring your entire team. Go to www.outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. That's L-I-T-Z-Y. Hope to see you there. And that's a really great question. So the nominating committee members are um, mentors or guides for you. Um, They're not your advocates uh, because they remain neutral in the election process, Um, but they will assist you with some... with resources, but then APTA staff who work in the governance department become your assistants as well with the process. There is a candidate manual that contains much of the information, and that's available to anybody. You don't have to wait until you're a candidate. Any member can go on the website and locate the candidate manual and read lots and lots of information about this whole process. And it really describes the the nominations process, the candidates pro- the candidacy process, and the elections process. So once the nominations process ends, the candidacy process begins, and. The, the nominated committee publishes the slate, and the slate is goes up on the website, and that's when people find out. It's usually early in December. They usually find out these are the people who are on the slate, and then the campaigning begins. And as candidates, you need you are um, given a question to answer that goes in written form. That goes on the website on your candidate page. Um, You also have to have your CV that gets posted there. And that becomes available to the delegates and to the members to look at who are these people. And that's how you get information. Um, The CSM meeting in February is usually the first live appearance of the candidates um, when 
delegates start to pay attention to who are these people who are slated. And so the, usually uh, the, the candidates pick a campaign manager, and your campaign manager is the person who helps you. They are your advocate. They are the one the ones who help you navigate the candidacy and election process. So I love that you guys do that. Yeah. Love it. And I, I actually and I served as a campaign manager last year and oh, I did. loved it. It was it was really a lot of fun. Um, really enjoyed that. So usually you want your campaign manager to somebody who does understand this whole process and who can again be your advocate, you know, let you know if your if your hair is straight and you know what you know, look at look at the things that you're writing and give you feedback and um, be sort of your sounding board when you have questions on strategy and who should I be talking to and here's what I'm hearing and how do you think I should handle it. That's your campaign manager's job because they are they are they have the job of being your advocate. Um, so you show up at CSM, um, you go through the process of contacting people you know. Um, asking them for your support, putting together your platform. Why are you doing this? Why should somebody vote for you? You have to have a pretty clear picture of why, um, if you're going to convince people, you know, to vote for you. It's pol- it's politics. It's it's absolutely yeah. it's absolutely politics. And the thing about elections is that not everybody can win. You have to understand that. The delegates vote for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. It's not always personal if you um, are not the one who is elected. And there are multiple reasons why delegates will look across the slate at everyone that they're electing. They will be looking at the balance. They'll be looking at geographical balance. They'll be looking at age. They'll be looking at Male versus female, they'll be looking at Experience, diversity. diversity yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So they're looking at all of those things for a mix, again, because your board is a team of 15. Mm-hmm. And and I would love for you to go into now the day of. Mm-hmm. So the day of. So so for those who don't know, there's at the House of Delegates, it begins, of course, with a bunch of meetings, but but the real start time where people are coming together for delegates to start voting on things are the interviews for these candidates. So if you wouldn't mind talking about <laughs> that experience. <laughs> sure. And candidate interviews are identified by potential candidates as being one of the one of the biggest barriers to serving because it it many members find the idea of doing these candidate interviews to be really intimidating. Um, the candidates at this point get at least one of their questions in advance, so you work on that and get it. You get that one prepared. So I ran this year for the office of secretary, and so there are 20 minutes allotted for your interview. You get a two-minute opening, and you get a one-minute closing. And then the other 17 minutes, you are interviewed by delegates to the House. They're divided into four groups. And so um, you have, you do this four times. So you do 20 minutes four times with a break in between um, each. And really, um, the delegates can ask you almost anything. And there's a, there's a standardized rotation in about who gets to ask the actual questions. Um, so 
again, because I've done this a number of times, I, I actually enjoy the experience. The first time I did it, I found it to be, you know, completely intimidating and, and scary. Um, it's been, because it's been identified as a barrier, there's been a lot of discussion about how else can delegates get information about candidates besides these interviews. You know, not every, when you're a board member, you're not necessarily a performer, you know, you're not, it's not necessarily about being uh, a good person who answers questions well on your feet, but yet that's how you are being evaluated based, you know, on these interviews. There's a lot of behind the scenes leadership roles. So this process, I think, does favor those who interview well, for lack of a, for lack of a better term. And again, um, it scares, it scares a lot of people. I, I, I get that. I get that. I was wondering for last question now. So you've done all these interviews. Whew, you, you finally get to go eat, drink. I've tried to take a nap because then you're waiting for the votes. So the votes go through. What was that? What's that, the experience? And this is the last question. What's the experience of getting the votes and how it ends? <laughs> this is a great question. I had to explain to my husband the other day. <laughs> So um, the actual election takes place in the House of Delegates, and the the delegates use an um, ARS device for electronic voting, so it is anonymous, and so they vote for each office, and that ARS system tabulates the results. Um, as that's happening, the candidates are asked to go with their campaign managers to a special room, and you are handed an you're handed an envelope with the results. So you get, as a candidate, you get the results before they're publicly known, which is very much a, a kindness. So you're not like sitting in the House of Delegates getting the results at the same time that everyone else is. So you have some you have some privacy around getting the results. Um, you get that envelope, you either stay in the room, you go somewhere else with your campaign manager, and then you open the envelope and there you see the entire slate with who's yeah, with the vote tally and how many each candidate and who, you know, who is elected and, and who's not. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, and I and, and, and from anybody listening, of course, there can be mixed opinions on how this is run, here, seeing the tally, seeing the numbers. I've honestly heard the yin and the yang version of that. But overall, this is the process. So this isn't to, I'm not doing this interview to add on all those opinions. This is just for just that blanket, like, this is how the candidacy, people running for the APTA, this is how it's run. This is how it works. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, thank you so much, Kathy. You just gave all these references for people for them to look up and find out more details on their own if they really want to see details by teacher. That's amazing that there's a, a packet, a book, you said? Yeah, the candidate manual. Yeah, the candidate man manual. That's amazing. So I would just literally Google, Google candidate manual APTA, and if you're a member, you can log in, you can get it. Um, but thank you so much, Kathy, for coming on. This is a pleasure, and I cannot wait for people to to learn this information, though. I agree. I think it's really important that this information is shared. I think it's really important that members and potential members know how their leaders are elected and how they can get involved. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for listening, guys. So how great was that? Now we all know how to run for a position within the APTA. So thank you, Jenna. Thank you, Kathy, for a really informative interview. And of course, thank you to NetHealth for sponsoring this episode. So NetHealth is hosting the Clinical Outcomes Summit along with FOTO, which is focused on therapeutic outcomes. That is October 23rd to the 25th in Knoxville, Tennessee. And it includes some motivating 
and inspiring keynote speakers, including my good friend Michelle Colley from Performance PT and Daniel Lord from Crossover Health. And all of you listeners of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart get a steep discount by using the discount code LITZY. The Summit Pass is only $150. Head over to www.outcomesnerd.com. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.